Please turn with me to First John and chapter 3. First John chapter 3. We will uh, commence reading from the fourth verse. The Bible says there, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who the children of God, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, brethren, we are continuing in our series of messages in the first epistle of John on the theme of assurance of salvation, assurance of eternal salvation. I have said this a number of times before, and I want to repeat the message, and it is this, that assurance of salvation is important. It is important for two reasons. First of all, it is important because we all want to know that when this life is over, and I have died, and I am buried, I will not be shocked on the other side to hear God saying to me, get away from me, I never knew you. Especially after spending so many years in the life of a church, thinking that I am on my way to heaven. Nothing can be more disappointing than that because there will be no coming back there will be nothing like coming to say, okay, where did I miss the turn so that this time I can do it right? There's nothing like that. So if there's any favor we all need to do ourselves is to make sure that while we are in this life, we know for sure that we are going to heaven and that it should not be based on just some emotional feelings. 
but rather that my assurance of salvation is squarely seated upon the Bible, the Word of God, so that I'm able to, to stand the tests that are in this book. The second reason why it is important is because if you are convinced that you are a child of God, you will not want to keep that news to yourself. You want to share it. And therefore, Christian service is squarely seated on the subject of assurance of salvation. Individuals that don't know whether they are saved or not will not go out there to begin sharing with friends about how to be saved from sin. After all, they don't know whether they are saved from sin themselves. And so, whether you will arrive in heaven and be abundantly rewarded by God will depend on whether now you know that you are truly a Christian. That's when you will want to sacrifice your time. You will want to sacrifice your money. You will want to do anything and everything in order to help others to enjoy something of the peace and joy that you yourself have experienced. Assurance of salvation, therefore, is crucial. The section that we are in at the moment, which is verse 4 down to verse 10, is one in which the Apostle John is using a moral test of salvation. In other words, if you are living a life of righteousness, then you must be a Christian. If you are living a life of sin, then you are not a Christian. It's, it's as categorical as that before the eyes of this great apostle. So, for instance, last week, when we were looking at verse eight, 7 and verse 8, John was saying, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So clearly there, he is again using this moral test. That on the one hand, if you are living a righteous life, you are righteous. In other words, God has saved you. If you are living a life of sin, you still belong to the devil. Because that's the way the devil has been all along. You cannot belong to Jesus because Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. So we can be quite categorical about that. If you live in sin, you cannot be a Christian. Period. John is quite categorical. Well, today we're only looking at verse 9. And in verse 9, John continues the, the moral test of salvation. And again, it's simply saying the same thing. If you are living in sin, you are not saved. 
Now we have mentioned the fact that John seems to be speaking in circles. You know, you're sitting there thinking, as we read verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And you feel like saying, but John, you've been saying this for the last couple of verses. Why continue repeating yourself? Well, the answer is quite simple. John, as I said last week, goes in circles, but each time he goes round, he leaves something behind and adds a further thought. That's what he is doing. And so, if you look at verse 9 closely, you will notice that he has made a move. And the move that he has made is that in the previous verse, he was talking about the work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he was dealing with Jesus Christ there and the work that he has done. In verse 9, he moves from the work of the Son of God to the work of the Spirit of God. And so he introduces the new birth. The new birth is not what you do. It is something that the Spirit of God does. And so he says in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What do we learn from there then? It is the simple fact that if the Spirit of God has worked in your life, and his work is a saving work, you cannot continue living in sin. Let's put it another way. If you are continuing to live in sin, then the Spirit of God has not done his saving work in you. And therefore, you are not a child of God, you are not a Christian, you are still on your way to hell. That's what he's saying here. Let's think about that together. First of all then, we need to be categorical in stating that no regenerate person continues to live in sin. No born-again person continues to live in sin. That's the way John begins this verse. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. This is the first time that John uses that phrase, born of God. But beyond this point, all the way into chapter 4 and chapter 5, he uses it again and again and again. In a sense, he has used it, except that God specifically wasn't mentioned. If you go to chapter 2, and the very last verse, this is what he says. 
If you know, that's verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And there, he's obviously referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's referring to God. And that's why later on, he begins to speak in terms of see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. So clearly there, John has already begun to address the fact that Christians are children of God. They are children of God in a very different way from the way in which all human beings are God's children. In that it is God who has made us all. We are his creatures. We have come from God. But Christians are children of God in that there has been a particular special work that has taken place at the point of their conversion. In fact, their conversion is a fruit of that work of God that is referred to here as being born of God. And what is this work? To be born of God refers to a secret work of the Holy Spirit that precedes conversion that in fact produces conversion. The Holy Spirit plants new life in us. The seed of new life is planted in us. And it is that new life that is planted in us that produces faith, that produces repentance. And consequently, we are enabled to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are enabled to repent from our sin. In John chapter 3, the famous meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus, John chapter 3, we find the Lord Jesus Christ teaching about this new birth, this being born again. And this is the way he puts it. John and chapter 3. I begin reading from verse 1. He says there, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, notice that Nicodemus already had a lot of religious credentials. He was a Pharisee. In other words, his belief system was generally the orthodox or correct system compared to the Sadducees, who were also leaders in Israel, but in their case, their theology was wrong. Secondly, he was a prominent person in Israel. He was one of the leaders. He had made his way to the top. He was a respected leader in Israel. The equivalent perhaps today of a church leader. Somebody who has grown up in church and made his way right to the top in the, on the ecclesiastical ladder. He comes to Jesus. Clearly he is interested in him. He comes by night because it was going to be a complete scandal if he had come to him during the day. The, the other religious leaders would have said, hey, this guy is a heretic, this Jesus, what are you doing with him? But he had enough interest, curiosity in the Lord Jesus to still come to him and so he came by night. And he was basically saying, you know what? There's enough evidence around you that suggests that you've come from God. You are no ordinary man. The kind of things that you are doing makes me feel that I need to have special dealings with you. But Jesus looks at him, and because Jesus is God, he knows that Nicodemus is still dead in sin. With all these credentials, he's still not a child of God. And so he says to him, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Seeing in two senses. First of all, you cannot understand spiritual things. And secondly, you cannot even enter into the kingdom because entry into the kingdom is dependent upon understanding spiritual reality. Nicodemus is confused about all this. He's never heard anybody speak to him this way, especially in terms of him giving him the boot, as it were, saying you don't belong, you are outside, you don't even understand spiritual things. And so he says, excuse me, I obviously have come with interest. I, I want to belong to you. I want to, to experience these things. But, you know, how can a person be born again? I'm, I'm already an adult. How, how can I have a second birth? Now, many people today, if you were to ask them that question, how can I be born again, their answer would be, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be born again. And that's obviously completely wrong. And the reason why it is wrong is because you don't do something to be born. Something is done to you. None of us did something to be born. 
Eh? Other people did something. And we are the product of it. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. He doesn't say to him, you must repent, you must believe, you must, you must, you must. No, 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 no. In fact, he says, look, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. In other words, it's not you doing something. It is the spirit of God doing something to you. He says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, some people think being born of water means baptism. And obviously, again, it's wrong because baptism is something a human being does to you. It can't be water baptism. Rather, Jesus is uh, referring to Ezekiel and chapter 36, where I won't take you for today. I don't have the time, but if you go there, you will see that uh, God was promising his spirit to his people. And in promising his spirit to his people, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will give you my spirit and my spirit will enable you to obey my law. And that's where this new birth is coming from as Jesus speaks about it here. So this water has nothing to do with you being put into water here. Because if you are a sinner, when you are put into water here, you simply become a wet sinner. Nothing changes apart from the amount of liquid on your body. Jesus is speaking here about something God does. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you my spirit. It's God doing it. It's not ourselves. And that's why he goes on to say here, that which is born of flesh is flesh. A human being can only produce a human being. It is that which is born of spirit, which is spirit, and therefore do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It still raises the question, Jesus, how can I be born again? And Jesus ends by saying the, the wind blows where it wishes. The, the word for wind and the word for spirit in Greek is exactly the same word. So we can easily read this as saying the spirit blows wherever he wishes. The only reason why the authors, when translating into English, preferred wind is because the phrase is, and you hear its sound. And then he goes on to say, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So clearly, Jesus was using a metaphor. And the metaphor he was using is important for us. And it is this, that none of us can predict where the wind is going to blow from and where it's going to blow to. None of us. The wind is completely sovereign. We don't know. But we know when the wind is blowing. And you know why? 
because we can see the effect on the trees, on the branches, on the leaves. We see the leaves shaking, shaking, shaking in the air, and we can see this tree bending in one direction. And consequently, we know the wind is blowing, and it is blowing in that direction. We hear its sound. We see its effect. And Jesus is saying that's exactly the way it is with the work of the Spirit. We cannot predict who the next person is who's going to be born again, regenerated. We don't know. God is sovereign. The Spirit of God is sovereign. Two people can come to church born from the same family, coming from the same home, coming with exactly the same attitude, listening to exactly the same gospel. One goes home completely transformed, repentant, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The other person goes home scoffing and laughing, ridiculing everything they have heard. The Spirit of God has given new birth to one and he has bypassed the other. He is sovereign. That's what Jesus is saying here. The wind blows where it wishes. We can't control it. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. God is the one who gives birth. New birth. Spiritual birth. This Born again is an act of God. It is not our doing. And so we go back to 1 John. 1 John and chapter 3. The reason why the Bible borrows the word birth, new birth, or being born again, born from above, born of God, born of him, is because there is something that is similar between that which God does in making us Christians and that which happens when a human being is born. And what is it? It is this. That when the egg is fertilized in the womb, Life begins. Life does not begin when a child comes out of the womb, no. It begins when the female egg is fertilized. It begins at conception. And that's why abortion is murder. You are murdering a human being. That's what you're doing. Because life has begun. God has already counted that he is a human being. Except that for nine months, that life is hidden away from human sight. It's hidden away. But even while it's hidden away, it's real life. Something is happening there, it's a matter of time when the baby will start kicking, come out, and cry what is called the cry of life. It's a matter of time. That 
has already begun. And friends, it's exactly the same way with conversion. We don't know when the Spirit begins His work. We don't know. It's a secret work. When He implants that spiritual life, it's a secret work. But you know what? It can't be hidden for long. It can't. What happens soon after that is that the individual no longer sees the things of God as a mere theory or philosophy. No, 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 no. These things become very, very real. The Bible becomes very, very real. Salvation in Jesus Christ becomes very, very real. Their own sin becomes very, very real. The judgment of God becomes very, very real. And consequently, they begin to hate their own sin. That which they are doing against God becomes repugnant to them. They hate it. They begin to see its ugliness. Whether it's hatred, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's theft, whether it's lies or gossip, whatever it might be, it becomes a negative reality inside them. It bothers them. They begin to realize as never before that I'm in trouble with God and I need to do something or else I will perish. Until they hear the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He's paid the price. He's taken our place. God has punished him instead of punishing us. And in hearing that, that is life, life, eternal life. They cry to the Lord Jesus Christ that he may save them. So repentance is born in them. Faith is born in them because life has already been infused into them by the Spirit of God. That's what happened. And that's what John is coming back to here. And he's telling us that, look, no one who has experienced the fruit of the Spirit of God, this new birth, nobody who's gone through that makes a practice of sinning. And friends, this is Christianity. It's important for us to have the Christianity of the Bible and not the Christianity of our own making that is not different from Islam or Hinduism. Where it's just a belief in some kind of teaching. Christianity is life. It is divine life. It is eternal life. It is the power of God invading a dead human soul and giving to him spiritual, moral life. That's what Christianity is. 
And that's the reason why it is an important test of salvation. You can know if you're a Christian or not. Just the way in which a mother can tell when she's carrying a dead baby or not. Or she has given birth to a dead baby. She can know. You can know. Because where there is spiritual life, there is evidence. Real evidence. So are you a Christian? If you are, is there this moral evidence? This change? This real change? Where you now hate sin. You hate it. You fight against it. From inside out. Because you've been changed. A number of people will often say that, well, yeah, there was a time. What happened when, they usually use the phrase, when I was born again. I remember, I didn't want to go back to a life of sin. But I've since gone back now. It didn't work for me. Just lasted for a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, until... I finished school, or I went into my 20s, and after that, bang, I got carried away with sin, and that's, that's it. John shakes his head and says, that's not possible. Look at the way he puts it. Back to verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him because God's seed remains in him, stays in him. What is this seed is referring to? He's simply using picture language. Again, a seed is, has in it everything that a person is going to be afterwards. Today, we use a different word. If, if Paul, rather, if John was writing today, he would be speaking in terms of genes. We, we get our genes from our parents. And what we're going to be in years to come is because of those genes. They are all in the seed. If you plant an orange seed, you know what you're going to have? Oranges. A few years from now. Oranges. You can't plant an orange seed and then because of difficulties, finally it's producing lemons. <laughs> the climate was just unfavorable. That's why I'm now producing lemons. You can't. As long as the seed, the genes are in that seed, it's a matter of time 
that life that's going to come out will show the kind of individual that has given birth to that seed or to that person. And that's what he's talking about here. That you see, this, this divine life, this, this new birth, is not a spark that took place once upon a time. Mm? Or a bang, as we are told by, by evolutionists. And therefore, anything can happen after that. After all, you know, it was just a spark. So if it's a spark, someone could extinguish it. And then that's it. It's been extinguished. But no, the Christian life is spiritual life. And that life continues. It continues. The seed remains and therefore it continues emanating, radiating spiritual life. And that person therefore continues to grow and grow and grow and matures into a truly godly man or woman because the seed remains. Now, that's not suggesting that there will not be difficulties along the way. We were hearing earlier on a song by the music ministry saying, take me back to the place where I first met you. Why is the person crying like that? It's because... They've gone through a dark patch. They've gone through a period when their spiritual senses have been injured, but not extinguished. And consequently, that which cannot be extinguished cries, cries, and finally comes out. We're speaking about the nine months in which the embryo, the fetus, the, the baby is in the womb. We can use another picture, and it's the picture of a plant that uh, you, you, you put it in the ground. That's what the farmer does. He sows his seed and puts soil on top. And for a few days, there's nothing. Nothing. You look there, there's nothing. The farmer keeps passing by. And then one day he sees a crack in the soil. <laughs> he goes back home, rejoicing to tell his wife, I'm about to have little seedlings showing up. A day or two later he goes there, he finds something green, just a little elbow sticking out of the ground. He knows because the seed was there, it was a matter of time. Sometimes the soil is not the best. Consequently, he invites someone to come and put black soil there. And they come and they spread the soil on top. Plants are under the soil. He doesn't worry. He knows. Because the seed is there. The life is there. Even if for a while it is covered, it will still break through that soil. Because it 
has life there. That's what John is saying. It's impossible for a person that's been born of God to continue practicing sin because the seed, God's seed, abides in him. It wasn't just a little spark that happened earlier and it's now gone and therefore it, it, it totally depends on you. No, 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 no. God is there by his spirit working in each soul that belongs to him. There is spiritual life, eternal life, divine life that is working. And consequently, even when there has been a brief season of backsliding, that life cannot remain in a backslidden state. No. The uneasiness, the loss of peace troubles the soul. The sense that my father is unhappy with me is a nightmare. The failure to eat, the failure to sleep, the failure to, to, to concentrate on study and, and other aspects of life is totally unbearable until the child of God finally cries, take me back, oh God. Take me back. I cannot continue this way. I cannot. So there's another proof. If once upon a time you made some profession of faith, especially those of you who grow up in Christian families, you usually do that when you are young. And then as you go through your later teenage years, your early 20s, you, you take a turn and you are gone. And now all you're doing is living a hypocritical life. Well, most likely you're just not converted at all. You're not. If you're at peace in sin, you're enjoying sin, you are not converted. Because where there is spiritual life, we are being told here, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. You will continue going forward. John ends with the pivotal reason why. And I won't take long on this. Because all he's doing is saying, let's go back to the beginning. The pivotal reason why a Christian cannot live in sin is simply this. Because he's been born again. Period. Because he's been born again. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. At first he said, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's a fact. It doesn't happen. He now uses the word can. He cannot keep on sinning. The word can has to do with ability. If I say, can I come and see you at 15 hours? I'm saying, am I able to see you at 15 hours? Usually we Zambians, we use can when we should really be saying may. 
May I come and see you at 15 hours? May is a request for permission. You are, you are asking for permission to see somebody. Can is ability. And it's often good to joke with a person who says, can I come and see you? To simply answer back and say, what has that got to do with me? Because ability is, is yours. It's got nothing to do with me. John here is going into the realm of ability. And it's important that we capture this. He's saying he cannot keep on sinning. It's not possible. He does not have the ability to keep on sinning. He doesn't have it. Why? Because he has been born of God. He has spiritual life. Now, that sounds hard, doesn't it? But let me prove it to you. Remember, it's life. A corpse can't move. You know that. Well, let me tell you the opposite. A person who's alive cannot be still. Try it. Try and just sit still. Before long, someone will say to you, that eyelash has moved. Your lip has quivered. In other words, when there is life, the opposite is equally true. You cannot stay still. The person will soon say, you are breathing. I can see your chest went... You're breathing. You cannot be dead when you are alive. It's not possible. You may temporarily for two seconds, three seconds. Some of you more gifted ones, ten seconds. But before long where there is life, you cannot be like a dead person. It's not possible. You can bring nice roasted T-bone steak with all the flavors on it and put it next to a corpse. There's no movement. Let me bring it to you and say, enter the Guinness Book of World Records for not swallowing saliva for a minute while staring at T-bone steak. And you will see, Within five to ten seconds, you are struggling because your mouth is full of saliva. You must swallow it. The point that is being made here is you cannot keep on sinning because you are alive. You are spiritually alive. God has put his seed into you. God has given you birth. It's not possible. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I remember many years ago putting a poster in my room at, at Unza. And uh, it always led to dis the discussions with visitors. Because it was like a, uh, a twister, a mind twister. It said, you are not a sinner because you sin, 
No, you sin because you are a sinner. And many people would say, but what's, what's the difference between that first sentence and the second one? Because it sounds the same. The point there is, what makes you a sinner is not because you've sinned. No. It's the other way around. You sin because you are a sinner. In other words, it's, it's the nature in you that makes you do what you do. It's not what you do that then makes God categorize you as a sinner. Because you are a sinner, consequently, the fruit is sin. Well, the reason why I'm referring to that is because regeneration changes the heart. That's what it does. God removes from you that heart of stone, that heart of, of, of sin, and, and puts in a new heart, a, a heart of flesh, a, a, a heart that is spiritual, a heart that is alive to him. And therefore, now you live a righteous life because you are born again, because you are righteous, because you have a new heart. That's the Christian. It's not that you are trying to live a righteous life and consequently you become righteous. No, 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 no. It's that God makes you righteous. An act of God that produces righteousness. That's what John is saying here. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So, if you are able to live in sin, then you are not a Christian. That's a good test. Because all of us can check ourselves there. If you are able to live in sin, then you are not a Christian. Why? Because true Christians cannot do so. They can't. They can't. And it's not me saying it. It's there in your Bible. They can't. Now, I'm very concerned with the number of people in the Christian church who prefer to be hypocrites. I'm very concerned about it. I'm concerned about it, first of all, because they... They waste their own time. They do. Because they are not Christians. But they prefer, because they've already made some kind of professional faith, they prefer to, to now simply start living a double life. On Sunday, they are as spiritual as anybody, singing all the songs that everybody else is singing. And then on Monday, bang, into a life of sin, wickedness, drunkenness, sexual immorality, everything else, defrauding, lying. They are continuing there, and then comes Sunday, bang. You ask yourself, but who are you cheating? Huh? It's like a person who's sick. Instead of going to the doctor, he is what members say, he's got a cough. Instead of just coughing properly, <coughs> he just goes, 
say, but why? Are you getting any better by pretending? Here is God offering salvation in Jesus Christ. He is a savior. And instead of you calling on him to save you, you prefer to be a hypocrite. To be a hypocrite. To join the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to here. And it must be miserable, isn't it? Because surely dignity demands I want to be who I am. Come on, man. Eh? That's what dignity demands. That doesn't matter where I am, I have the right to be who I am. The problem with a hypocrite is that you, 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 you can't go as far as, as your fellow sinners are going because then you also can't live a righteous life because that's not where your heart is. So it's a very miserable kind of Living halfway here, halfway there. In fact, there's no halfway. As far as God is concerned, you are a sinner heading for hell. He's never saved you. Because if he saved you, then you will abandon sin. That's what this verse is saying. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So my appeal as I close is plead with the Savior that he may really save you. He actually saves. He does. And he saves in such a way that you hate sin. You yourself, you hate it. And you will not want to play with it. And instead, you will be going higher and higher and higher in your godliness. That's what will happen. I plead that we may see this as serious. There's no middle ground. There's no stagnation. There's no being half a Christian, half in the world. There's nothing like that. When he saves, he really saves. So check yourself. Has Jesus Christ saved you? Amen.